0: guys. Welcome to part two of our special podcast series, where we're going to be talking about what to do when you've maxed out your 401. Essentially, what we're going to talk about today is asset allocation. How do you come up with your investment policy statement? What asset allocation makes sense for you? How do you pick between stocks and bonds and real estate? What does the asset allocation of ultra high net worth investors look like? And what role does say cryptocurrency and investing as an angel investor in your friend's device or your colleague's hedge fund have to do? what's the place for that in your portfolio. So let's go ahead and do a deep dive. Welcome to Generational Wealth MD's podcast on financial freedom through investing in real estate. My name is Param Baladandapani. I'm a mom, radiologist, real estate investor, and mentor to others looking to start or scale their real estate portfolios. The goal of this podcast is to provide you with inspiration, strategies, and insight so that you can stop trading your time for money and live life on your terms. If you love the episode, don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. If you're thinking that the only path to retirement is working harder, saving more, and investing in the stock market till you hit hit 65, I invite you to the 10X Your Financial Freedom Through Real Estate Experience. This free virtual coaching event from September 7th through the 14th is going to be a game changer. And yes, I know that you can do it even in the current market with interest rates the way they are and even through a recession. Because our students are doing just that. And on day two, you get to meet some of them and hear their stories, how they have used strategies to get to six figures in passive income and save six figures in taxes in this market. So if you're tired, burnt out, and ready to take back control of your time and income, if you're struggling to get your first long-term or short-term rental and don't want to learn from costly mistakes, if you're ready to go from a handful of rentals to 10xing your cash flow, I'm going to go over my proven framework that I used to get to financial freedom at 41 and that hundreds of our members have used. Plus, we will be figuring out your action plan, taking into account your risk appetite, goals and resources. We'll also figure out your next step to help you actually move the needle so you can accelerate financial freedom while paying less in taxes and creating the recession-resilient portfolio. I want you to go ahead and register for the event at generationalwealthmd.com slash event in lowercase, and I'll see you soon. Okay, so you guys, um, last episode, we talked about figuring out years to financial freedom or retirement, right? To see if you stay on your current plan, how long is it going to take you to get to retirement to see if you're on track? I would assume that the majority of us aren't really where we think we are supposed to be or where we want to be, right? Because I remember when I did this exercise um, in 2019, 2020, I was definitely not on track. So if you are in the same position, then join the club. What we're gonna do is this is where you have all the momentum you need to change your plan And what we're going to do is we're going to talk about key concepts that are going to allow you to change the trajectory of your investing to get you to your goal, retirement, and get you on track, essentially, okay? Um, I mentioned this last time, but I want to reiterate this. 90% of a portfolio's long-term returns are driven by asset allocation, right? How you're dividing your money up between stocks, bonds, real estate, commodities, that asset allocation is 90% responsible for your overall returns, not the individual securities you pick. So if the big question is bank stocks or ARKK, that's not what's going to get you to your goals. Okay, so we're going to zoom out today and talk about your spread and the weighting of your um, assets, you know, within your portfolio, because that is the most important determinant of portfolio return. Now, this is going to be very, very personalized. And I say, personal finances are personal, right? Investing is going to be personal. This is true for real estate. This is true if you're investing, um, you know, just in stocks and bonds, whatever it is, it's going to depend on your goals. It's going to depend on your risk appetite and the resources available to you. But let's just back up a little bit and say, suppose you've maxed out your 401, right? So you're, you know, about tax efficiencies and your, what we're, Traditionally taught is the first thing you do is max out your 401, right? And you may have invested in a target date fund within your 401. So a lot of what we're going to talk about is also going to be how do you invest within your 401, right? Where is that money going? Um, but let's assume you've done that. Let's assume you have a backdoor Roth IRA, and if you don't, don't worry. We're going to talk about tax efficiencies. assume you've done all of that, the question is, okay, I mean, how much of my portfolio should I invest in cryptocurrency? What about angel investing or you know um, any actively managed funds? So when we talk about your investment policy statement, your IPS, right, we're talking about asset allocation that is optimal for your portfolio. And the goal is to give you diversification, to also give you the highest risk-adjusted returns. We talked a little bit about this last time because the returns are different for different asset classes, right? significantly different. And then we're going to talk about tax efficiencies Because these three things, and that's our goal as we build up our investment policy statement, I always say this is something you sit down with your spouse and significant other, and you actually run through the exercise from part one, where you figure out your financial independence numbers, you run those numbers on the calculator, you look at what yours to financial freedom is based on what you're doing right now, and then you shift your plan together, right? So that's the goal. Um, I did the same thing in 2019. I saw that the ROI of my portfolio was significantly lower. And it wasn't because I was primarily invested in equities or stocks, right? Um, at that time, I had very minimal allocation to real estate. But the the other thing that I was doing that I was doing incorrectly is that I had a very large disproportionate allocation to fixed income assets. And um, if you remember, the returns from fixed income assets on average are about 5%. So that's a significant drag oh that was a significant drag on my portfolio and I realized I was saving for retirement not investing for retirement and I didn't have a roadmap so your IPS who so investment policy statement is your roadmap when I shifted the guide and I, sh- I shifted my asset allocation like I mentioned whatever I thought would take me 3 years uh it t- I thought I would get after that shift I would get to retirement in 3 years I got to my goals in a year that's the impact of asset allocation so uh, again, just to wrap it up, when you create your IPS, you are thinking about three things, essentially. How much are you going to save? What percentage of your income is going It's going to go towards savings? Then you think about your ideal asset allocation, where you want to be. And then you think about rebalancing, right? So you, how often are you going to look at your portfolio and then rebalance it to get it back to your target asset allocation, right? And this should not be an emotional decision this is something that you decide and you stick to the plan. Otherwise, that's going to be uh, one of the biggest financial mistakes you can make. Now, before we talk about asset allocation, and I'm, I'm not going to tell you what your allocation needs to be, but I do want to show you the difference between, um, say, the asset allocation of ultra high net worth investors. These are people with 5 to $30 million in their assets, right? Um, and the average investor. So the average investor, that's like you and me, um, how, how we start out, right? Typically has about fifty to ninety percent of their portfolio invested in stocks, right? And I'm assuming the rest of that is like significantly in bonds or fixed income assets. Now, the ultra high net worth investor, they have almost half of their money in alternative investments, and that and real estate is a big part of it, right? And they have less than thirty percent in equity. So you, you notice the big difference over there. That's what I want to highlight. Now, let's go back to the returns of different asset classes, right? When we talked about stocks, we said yes. ROI for a stock portfolio during growth is about 10% his, historically, because that, you know, we're looking at averages over decades. And then when you go towards retirement for a stock portfolio, that number goes down to 4%. That's because to weather market volatility, you are shifting your portfolio from completely stocks to a mix of bo- stocks and bonds, which lowers your ROI. But then you're also factoring in inflation once you factor that in you are left with a 4% safe withdrawal, right? So that's your ROI from your stock portfolio. Uh, Fixed income assets, bonds, CDs, that's 5%. Cash is 2% on average. REITs, if you're investing in REITs, about 10% is the same as stocks. And so I always say, when you're thinking of adding alternative investments to your portfolio, and you're thinking of real estate, I don't really like REITs because you're adding diversification, but your returns are similar to a stock portfolio. So. When I think real estate, for me, it starts from on the most passive end, syndications, right? Real estate syndications where you're investing in individual assets or a fund, but um, it, you know, you pick the plan where you have a value-add plan, hopefully, and your returns are starting from about 20% annualized, right? So that's significantly higher, and you don't have that drop during retirement with your real estate syndication portfolio, right? Um, so it's 20%, and if you want to learn more about syndication opportunities that we have, go to generationalwealthmd.com syndication. Um, you have a free guide on there. You have our current syndication um, offerings. Right now we have Part 33. We're closing down. We have a few spots left. So if you're interested in listening to this um, um, while this is coming out, which is the end of August, then definitely go check it out. Um, we also have our current syndication offerings on that website at all times. So syndications are about 20% average annualized returns. And it's similar to, if you have a buy-and-hold long-term rental. And then once you get into more active real estate, like short-term rentals you can and mid-term rentals, you can go all the way up from 50 to 200% ROI in year one. Um, if you want to learn more about investing in real estate the right way, or at least dipping your toes and understanding concepts so you feel confident in what you're doing, join us for our three-day live event that's coming up. Uh, September, um, eh, the first two weeks of September, it's generationalwealthmd.com slash event. Very high yield, three days, we have uh, some of our members from our program, uh, Creating Generational Freedom, coming on to talk about their journey. So you hear multiple perspectives. I'm super excited about it. This is for someone who's just starting, and it's also for those who are looking to scale their portfolios. Very high yield. I'd love to see you on there. But that's what returns look like across the board, right? And then you have, um, you know, real estate as the highest risk-adjusted returns, which lowers your years to retirement. We saw this last time. And then you have commodities and cryptocurrency. Now. I feel like someone who's very conservative um, in a conservative portfolio, cryptocurrency would probably be 1% to 3% of your overall asset allocation. That's what that's my opinion. Um, and you know everyone's going to have a different opinion, but I wanted to put that out there. But those are the different assets and it's up to you to decide how you want to allocate among it. I'm going to give you some rules of thumb. If you have a primarily stock bond portfolio, the rule of thumb is uh, 120 minus your age. So if you're 40 years old, uh, you would have, Eighty percent of your stock bond portfolio, eighty percent in stocks and twenty percent in bonds. Then as you grow older, you're going to ship that. and like I said, that's because you want to weather market volatility, right? That's just a rule of thumb um, that's you know um, most people use when they try to think about asset allocation in stocks and bonds. Now like I said, the as you introduce alternative investments, and I you know real estate is considered an alternative investment. Because most financial advisors aren't really allowed to talk about it, um, but if you look at ultra-high-net-worth individuals, like I said, fifty percent of their portfolio is in alternative investments. So you know it's it's just terminology. Um, real estate, I think, is a powerful wealth builder and it's a powerful tool for generational wealth. Um, but that's a whole different ballgame. game. But if you talk about a traditional stock bond portfolio, you could use the one hundred and twenty minus age rule. So it's a general uh, rule of thumb that you could use to decide on your stock bond portfolio now. Um, typically if you're investing in stocks, I know people like picking individual securities. That's what I did when I started out, but uh, a very safe way to get. If you're interested in learning how to invest in long-term and short-term rentals the right way, so you can accelerate to financial independence with the support of mentorship, community and vetted investor agents in strong markets across the country, then get on the wait list for the next cohort of Creating Generational Freedom at www.generationalwealthmd.com. You don't have to learn from decades of costly mistakes by yourself. The program is only open for enrollment in the spring and fall each year. In the last six months alone, our members have acquired over $60 million of real estate, and more importantly, They are living life and practicing medicine on their terms. You don't have to do it alone. Consistent returns is if you pick passive index funds instead of going with an actively managed fund, right? So Vanguard, Fidelity, they have passive index funds where the expense ratios are really low, which means that it really significantly increases your returns when you're investing in stocks and um there are studies to show that less than four percent of actively managed funds beat the s p 500 right so the chances of someone with an actively managed funds between fees and transaction fees um that is uh, that they're that they're paying that the chances of them beating the s p 500 are very very low so I want you to keep that in the back of your mind you don't want to be paying someone fees you can pay someone fees for superior returns. If your returns are essentially going to be significantly higher, this is what we see in real estate, you can do that. But you don't want to be paying fees for inferior returns. So be very intentional about where you're parking um, your money. And and then Jack Bogle, uh, the founder of uh, Vanguard, he said this, when you go with an actively managed fund, oftentimes you're losing 67% of your returns in fees. So at 7%, right, if you're getting a 7% return over 50 years, from a stock portfolio, a dollar becomes $30. But if there's 2% fees, that's what you're paying your um, you know, your, your managers, your fund managers. With that 2% fees, your return drops to 5%. And that 5% over 50 years means your dollar becomes $10. So you're losing $20. So you're losing 67% of your returns and fees. So be very intentional about that. That's something I um I always like uh talking about. The the next thing I want to Quickly, because we're doing this like really quickly, right? We're gonna talk about um how do we how do we pick something? For most of us, it's like, okay, I go in there and I get overrun by everything that's available on there. And I wanna talk about um, you know, how do you keep your portfolio simple? And there is the three fund model and the two fund model. And this is purely for those of you investing in stocks, right? If you're thinking about stocks, this is how I want you to think about it. So with a three fund model, to keep it very simple, you invest in one, a total US stock market index fund. two a total international stock market index fund and the third one is going to be a total u.s bond market fund so you have a complete stock market exposure which is large cap and small cap stocks then you have international exposure and then you have you know exposure to bonds that's your three fund portfolio how you split your assets over there that's also going to be based on your risk capital and how you like things some people do a 30 percent split between, 33% split between all of those, others allocate differently, uh, whatever makes sense for you, right? Now, a simpler way, if that seems complex to you, I like, honestly, I use the two fund portfolio. Um, I don't really have small cap or international exposure in my portfolio. I feel like there's more volatility there. And over decades, I've noticed that the returns are very similar to, say, the S&P 500. So a two fund portfolio would just be you get one S&P 500 index fund in there, and then you have a total U.S. bond market fund. That's a simple two-fund portfolio. Whatever you put into your 401, go in there and take a look at it. If it's in a target date fund, some target date funds have high fees, which means you're, you know, you're losing a significant portion of your returns. Uh, like that example we just talked about, right? So I want you to be intentional, even within your 401k, to go in and say, this is where I'm currently invested. This is what I want to be looking at, and that's why we're doing this, right? So that's how you would allocate within a brokerage account or within a 401k, right? Again, this is all just purely educational. These are my opinions. I am not a financial advisor, but these are rules of thumbs um, that are, uh, you know, considered pretty um, conservative in the uh, finance space. And this is what I tend to follow also. But once you do that, you then have, you know, what percentage of your income do you want to have in fixed income? That's bonds and CDs. And it's very important to be intentional about it and actually write this down on your IPS. And then you come into, and I feel like I want to reduce the barriers for people to have real estate in their portfolio, which is why you know we started talking about real estate in Generational Wealth MD, talking all about active investments, active investing in real estate. And we're going to talk more about that during our three-day live event, generationalwealthmd.com slash event lowercase. Make sure you join us. Um, if it just goes over everything you kind of need to know to build your own criteria for how you're going to acquire real estate. But we realized that um, a significant portion of people don't want to invest in real estate actively. So you have the option to do that passively where you put your money in. And uh, as operators, we go in and we take the project to completion. We execute the business plan. That's where real estate syndications come in, where you're still getting significantly higher returns. But, and you have diversification, but you're having those tax efficiencies and you're able to stay passive And still have a velocity of growth, right? And so again, that's slash syndication. If you want to get started, all lowercase, you have a free guide over there, which talks about kind of everything you need to know about investing in syndications. How do you build your own criteria even over there? Um, And then we talk a little bit about it even during the live event. So those are two resources for you. Now we've talked about okay, what is my savings rate going to be? How do I want? my assets to be allocated, right? Those are two important things. And tons of resources. If you're trying to dip your toes into real estate, you have the ability to do that. Um, It isn't as challenging as it seems. Anyone can do it, and there are different ways of doing it, right? So that's what I wanted to expose you to. But then finally, I also want you to think about, when you're thinking about asset allocation, think about tax efficiencies, right? So the location, it's not just about asset allocation, it's also about asset location. So let's talk a little bit about asset location, right? Now, if you're someone who wants to invest in um, equities, right, stocks, and you are investing in your 401k, you max that out and you're investing, that's where you're going to hold your stocks, fine. Um, if you are then going to take money and put your post-tax money into a brokerage account, I want you to also think about a backdoor Roth IRA. So most of us in residency, if you're in residency, you're listening to this, that's a great time where your income is low, where you can use a Roth IRA and allow your money, you can fund it more extensively, right? Within a Roth IRA, you have your money is triple tax advantaged. So you put pre-tax money in there and it grows tax-free and then you can withdraw from a tax free, right? So you're really it's super tax efficient. Once your income hits a certain threshold, you're not able to, you're only able to do a backdoor Roth IRA. And it's a pretty straightforward process. You can actually Google it. Um, you put your money into an IRA and then you transfer it into a traditional IRA and then transfer it into a Roth IRA. You can put, I believe, up to 6500 for you and your spouse into it every year. And if you're going to put, say, $12,000 into a brokerage account, your post-tax dollars are going to go into a brokerage account, I would highly recommend seeing if this makes sense for you because a backdoor Roth IRA, you put the money in there. You've you um, you know you've already paid taxes on it with a with backdoor Roth in this case. But what happens is that, um, sorry, even with, when you do it initially, right, a Roth IRA, uh, when you're in residency, say, and you're putting money in, you're in a lower, significantly lower tax bracket, right? So you're putting, stashing money out there, and then it grows, and grows significantly. But as it grows, you don't have to pay taxes on it. And you are able, after five years, to withdraw your money from that Roth IRA. So it's all post-tax dollars going in. But you are able to withdraw that money after five years and use it. Um, if you need to so whatever you've contributed you can withdraw you can't withdraw the um what uh, you know uh, the the money that has grown essentially but um a- after a certain age you're able to tap into that money and it's grown tax free and you don't have to pay taxes on it so it does add a lot of velocity to your um to your portfolio when you use a backdoor Roth, something to think about. There's something called a pro-rata rule. If you do have an IRA, like a traditional IRA, you may not be able to tap into it uh, optimally. So make sure you run that by your CPA. But if you don't have a traditional IRA, then a backdoor Roth is something to consider if you are going to invest post-tax dollars into equities, into stocks, right? So that's one way of doing it. Now, the second thing is an HSA. If you have the ability to tap into an HSA, remember that you're stashing money over there. That is That is essentially pre tax dollars that you're putting in. But after the age of 65, you can withdraw that money and use it for any expense without a penalty. So there's a significant advantage over there if you're able to stash money over there. Something to think about uh, if you are investing in REITs. Now, I say for me, real estate starts from syndications going all the way to short term rentals. REITs, I don't really, you know, um, uh, they're not tax efficient. They don't um, necessarily give you the same returns. But if you are investing in REITs and you are investing in debt funds, right? Um, then those you want to hold within a tax-deferred account because they are tax-inefficient, and it makes sense to hold them within tax-deferred, tax-advantaged accounts. Right? It's the same thing for bonds because you get, um, you know, you get you what your returns from bonds will be taxed, so you're better off. And high dividend stocks also, you're better off holding these asset classes within tax-advantaged accounts. If you have international funds in a, you want to hold those in a taxable account because you do get a foreign tax credit, right? So as far as tax location is considered, that's something to think about. Um, when we're talking about tax efficiencies within your portfolio, I also want you to think about a 529 plan. When you are investing in a 529 plan for your children, to I want you to think about if they have earned income, you have the ability of also funding their college expenses through a Roth IRA if they have earned income, right? Now, this is true for a lot of our members who invest in real estate and their children after a certain age start assisting them. They can pay them um, because it's earned for any um, age-appropriate task that they are performing, um, and as long as the compensation is you know, what you would traditionally pay someone else. That can go into a Roth IRA. This is called income shifting. You take it away from your taxable income, you're paying your child. They don't have to necessarily pay taxes on it up to a certain amount, which I believe is the standard deduction is 12000 um, at this time. They don't have to pay taxes on that income, and it grows tax deferred. So that's where you get that triple tax advantage, right, with the E2C and a Roth IRA for a child's sake When they're under that 12000 limit, this is something that our members who invest in real estate can take advantage of, and then your child can use that for buying a first home or for healthcare expenses, or they can use it for college expenses uh, when the time comes. But that is a very powerful vehicle also. So that is tax efficiencies. That is something about uh, ta- a- asset allocation and asset location, Right. Those are things I want you to be intentional about when you're building out your uh, investment uh, policy statement. And then finally, I want you to think about rebalancing. Where do I want my, you know, at every stage of my life, what do I want my asset allocation to look like? Once you write this down, this takes the emotions out of it, hopefully, right? You don't override this. Uh, when the mark, when you're seeing market volatility, you stay unemotional um, and you could be da- balancing rebalancing dynamically, which means when you have new money, you're putting that into the asset where you you're, you know, you want your allocation to increase, or you can shift that money. Uh, oftentimes, we're just dynamically rebalancing, which means we're not selling one asset to put it into the other. What we're doing is we're funneling new money into the asset that we need to see more of an allocation in, right? Um, this is really important um, to really write this down and stick to the plan. Um, so hope that covers almost everything you need to build your own investment policy statement. Hopefully, this was super helpful. What do I do once I max out my 401? Uh, you have a plan. This plan should hopefully get you to your target retirement based on the retirement calculator uh, numbers that we ran um, in um, episode one of this series. So um, I want you to write this down, pen and paper, and make sure you, so to make sure that you're on track uh, to retiring on your schedule, right on your terms. But what I notice is that even with all of this in place, sometimes we're sabotaging sabotaging our own retirement by making financial mistakes that are prevalent right most of us make at least a few of these mistakes so then last part of this podcast series we're going to go over the most common mistakes that we make that jeopardize our retirement and um other blunders that we tend to make as a group um and uh they just happen to be super easy to fix so as long as we're aware of what we're doing i'm hoping there is a huge impact so i will see you in part three I hope you've been inspired by this episode and are ready to take action. Your feedback means the world to me. If you found value in what you heard, I would greatly appreciate it if you could take a moment to rate the podcast, leave a review, and follow the podcast. And if you really like the episode, share it with a friend. Your ratings, reviews, follows, and shares not only motivate me, but they also help others discover the show and join the community. So please share your thoughts. Let me know what you liked and even what you'd like to hear more of in the future. I can't wait to hear from you. Stay tuned for more exciting episodes. And until next time, take care.